Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another episode on the Courageous Path podcast. I'm Rachel Horton White, and you can find this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes, where you can follow and subscribe there. And you can learn more about me at www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. Today, I am so excited to bring you an interview called Reconnecting to a Future on Earth with Claire Mater, who is an incredible woman who I've known for a little while now. Um, And Claire is the one who told me about her studies with an incredible visionary named Joanna Macy, who created a movement called The Great Turning. And in this interview, Claire talks about the workshops that she facilitates around the great turning, which is essentially the transformation from an industrial growth culture to a life-sustaining culture, unfortunately rooted in the destruction of the planet that we're experiencing now, but coming up with three um, really practical, real approaches to creating the kind of planet and society that can sustain the human race and that will allow our future generations to thrive on earth. Claire Mater has trained extensively with Joanna Macy to facilitate workshops in the work that reconnects, which is HTTP workthatreconnects.org designed to help us uncover and experience our innate connections with each other and the healing powers of the web of life so that we can rediscover our role in creating a life-sustaining civilization. Pioneered by Joanna Macy since the late 1970s, this highly experiential and interactive work draws from systems thinking, deep ecology, and many spiritual traditions. Claire facilitates workshops primarily in Michigan and loves to help people reconnect with their sense of purpose and meaning for being here on earth at this momentous time in human history. Claire currently lives in an intentional community in Ann Arbor, Arbor, Michigan, and is inspired in her work by caring for her grandsons ages two and five. Claire's website is httpchrysalistransitions.com which is spelled C-H-R-Y-S-A-L-I-S-T-R-A-N-S-I-T-I-O-N-S dot com. Hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation with Claire. Good afternoon, Claire. It is good to talk with you. Good to talk with you too, Rachel. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, well, I am so thrilled to uh, get the chance to at long last, grab some of your time and to hear about the incredible and transformative work that you're doing through with Joanna Macy and a whole bunch of other people, um, work that I always call the great turning, but I know that um, there are many different workshops that you are facilitating and um, pieces that you're working on as part of this movement. So, um and I must, ha- I must say that our fabulous babysitter, Lizzie, Liz Colburn, his little shout out, <laughs> connected us. And you, when, when I met you with our kids there, my kids there, you told me about this. And I looked into it and was blown away. So I'm just, it's, thank you for introducing me in the first place. So can You're you talk? Welcome. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. um, can you describe what 
the great turning is for listeners? I sure can. Um, and just before I do, though, I want to give a shout out to Lizzie, too, because she is my mm-hmm. oldest and dearest friend. We've been friends since we were 10 year olds, and I <laughs> love her so much. Um, I know. She's yeah. been such a a strong part of my life um, and consistent. So, yes. yeah, the yes. great turning um, is uh, the name that Joanna Macy and some others have given to a radical transformation that's happening during our lifetimes. Mm. And this is a, a transformation of our culture that will move us from the industrial growth society with its heavy emphasis on growth Mm. to a life-sustaining society Mm. where everybody counts and where you don't have to earn anything for the right to be alive and thriving Mm. um, and where everyone's life is truly deeply supported for the gifts that they bring and uh, for the the richness that we can uh, create together when we begin synergizing. So the great Mm -hmm. turning has three dimensions to it. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is important is because when we begin to be able to identify that the great turning is actually happening, Mm -hmm. we can align our hearts with that and we can find hope in that and we can um, actually allow it to change our lives and create a deeper sense of purpose and meaning as we say, okay, this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. I don't know what everybody else is doing around me, but this is what I'm doing. Yeah. So a great point of making a decision. So the way that this looks and the way you may be seeing it and your listeners may be seeing it already happening in their world Mm -hmm. um, are uh, in the three dimensions of the great turning. The first dimension is what is called holding actions that are taken in defense of life. Mm-hmm. And um, this is anything, anything that we do that either causes destruction to slow down or even potentially stop. What, it, what it's meant to do is to save lives to save resources, to save um, as much of the global genome that we can Mm -hmm. as we're facing um, pretty rapid species extinction right now. We're going through um, one of the largest mass extinctions in the planet's history right now. Yeah. And uh, they call it the sixth mass extinction on Mm -hmm. Earth. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't realize that um but science is very aware of it and concerned about it Mm -hmm. but so anything that we can do to hold um onto lives whether it's working in say a homeless shelter or a food pantry that's very directly helping to save some human lives Mm. or um circulating petitions and writing letters, whistleblowing, trying to get the word out there what's really happening Mm -hmm. um, that people may not really truly understand, boycotting and picketing institutions and businesses to uh, protest what's what's unfair, things that are being done in our name Mm -hmm. um, and dangerous things that are 
uh, dangerous both for the environment and for um, for human life as well, and for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are several things: civil civil disobedience, even fasting and hunger strikes when they're brought when they bring attention to uh, the amount of destruction that is already underway. These are all considered holding actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they usually are targeting either policies or institutions yes. or, or even practices that we may all be engaged in, mm-hmm. like hyper-consumerism, you know, yeah. um, or things like uh, eating food that comes from concentrated animal feeding operations. People may not know that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But once yeah. they come to know that, then, you know, through a holding action, then that makes a difference. They can't no longer not know that. And it can make a difference in how they choose to shop in the future. Mm-hmm. So this is um, some of just a, like a smattering of examples of holding actions. The, the, you could write pages on what holding actions look like. But I think I, I've given you a bit of an idea yes. of what that looks like. It's heroic work. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it can really tire you out because there are um, so many forces that you're heading directly into. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but there's often a lot of losses mm. because you may engage in a struggle and then lose the battle. Um, and in those instances, it's really important to realize that every holding action is an opportunity for education of others. Yeah. And that, and that helps you keep going, even in the face of a loss. You yeah. just keep going because eventually the tide does change, you know, and we've seen mm-hmm. how things have changed um, just in the, you know, more recent legislation around, say, uh, marriage equality. Mm-hmm. People didn't think that was ever going to be possible. But as we just kept the conversation going around fairness and love is love, and we were able to finally um, get a judgment from the Supreme Court that makes a whole lot more sense in terms of loving. So um, that's yeah. uh, the first dimension of the great turning. The second dimension... Before you go into that, I just want to ask mm-hmm. you a real quick question. Sure. Um, because when you're talking about holding actions, the thing that I was recalling was the nonprofit field <laughs> where mm-hmm. I come from. And, um, and I'm, I think those of us are, who have worked in that field or for any kind of social service or I guess it could be environmental as well, um, it is a lot of energy being put out and not a lot of giving you know energy back to yourself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then and so it is, you know, challenging to kind of balance that out and sustain your work and, you know, doing, doing to be able to do it long term. But the other piece I've noticed, and I don't, and, I, and you don't have to go into it now, but maybe we'll come back to it, um, is that often the work, the holding action work is being done within a lot, like some, a kind of a system that is actually perpetuating the problem in the first place, <laughs> you know, maybe in an agency or, you know, like, you know what I mean? I think, yeah. um, so anyway, it's just, that's just something I, that is occurring to me when you were speaking of it. Um, yeah. And it makes yeah. the whole, that whole holding actions piece a whole lot more confusing at times to people who are involved from an institutional or organizational uh, perspective. Yeah. I've always been fortunate enough to 
have most of my holding actions stand outside of any organization where I'm acting as an individual in concert with other individuals. And there's a whole lot of freedom in that. And I highly Mm. recommend it as a way to do holding actions because you can say what you need to say. You're not beholden to anybody. You can, um, uh, and when you link arms with others, and this is an important aspect of the great turning, um, when you link arms with others, you become more of a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. So yes. you can, you don't have to form an organization. You can form like an ad hoc committee that lives as long as the issue is alive for folks. Yes. That's really and, helpful. And that's a, that's a very freeing way to do holding actions. Yes. Thank you. That's nice. And it's very hard to target a group that isn't actually an organization. Mm-hmm. When you think about pushback. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. um, but I, I, my hat is off to you for your years in the nonprofit world. It's, it is a hard one. Um, mm. It's nice to have a, a paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. for your work. Yeah. And when you do individual actions, you don't necessarily get paid by anyone. But um, in fact, you don't. But right. the thing is, you, you, you're operating out of passion and love and a conviction, you know, right. a certainty that a better way as possible and you're willing to advocate for it yeah, and you're free and you're, it's a freeing freedom. <laughs> There's to... a, a tremendous amount of freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up and, and tapping into your own lived experience because mm-hmm. it's really important mm-hmm. that we share those with others. Yeah. Um, so the second dimension of the great turning and um, another way we can recognize it happening in our midst, even today, now, even though, People may not call it the great turning. It might be called another name. But the second dimension is transforming the foundations of our common life. And what this means essentially is understanding um, how we created the culture that we have today, mm-hmm. including all the things that don't work, like corporate, corporate capitalism without any restraints, um, or structures of law and governance that support that corporate capitalism without any restraints. Um, so all the ways that our government has been colluded, and I'm, by that I mean not just our federal government, but even our state and local governments, the way they collude to support um, corporations over the very real needs for health and safety and goodwill toward the human beings that they are actually government is created to serve. Yeah. So um, it's looking at what are all those dynamics and how are they playing out? Not only in um, what we, what we've created uh, in calling it reality for ourselves, right? This is the real world. Not only what we've co-created with, without having all the information we needed to know what was happening, but also then generating new structures. We're going to have, if we're going to be willing to take a hard look at the structures we have created, we're also going to have to be willing to generate new structures. And these new structures um, will be the ways that we learn to govern ourselves and the way ways we learn to protect what we hold in common, our common life. And so um, 
some ways that the second dimension might uh, show up is um, uh, the study circles and um, affinity groups that form around trying to understand, say, the workings of the global economy or the corporate food system or um, water rights or any number of uh, different dimensions or aspects to the life support system that we are in. And see, so that's one of the things about this second dimension of transforming the foundations of our common life that's important to realize is that the very things that we are looking at are the things that are supporting our life. Hmm. So you have to have a certain amount of courage and compassion mm -hmm. because a lot of the institutionalized ways we have of going about our lives now are ideas that seemed like a, things that have, been, have begun that seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. But then they grew into something that no longer serves or does not serve in a way that is healthy and helpful to us in the grand uh, design of human life and, mm -hmm. and all the ways that we need to be supported and, and, um, and nurtured. So there are many ways that this second dimension um, takes place. It's um, creating new laws and new policies for protecting the commons, um, especially from things like privatization, including things like education or farm systems or um, the rights of nature. How about the rights of future generations? Right. I know you have children. I have children and grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I see all children and I realize the sort of intergenerational violence that is happening as we go on complacently with the business as usual aspect of our lives. And um, we need to hold that as a moral, um, a moral compass for ourselves. Uh, what are we doing that is potentially causing harm for our children and grandchildren? Yeah. And is that really okay with us? And is there a better way to do it? And are we willing to think that through and to take action to start creating something new? And of course, when we start going down this path, we realize that there are so many ways that we need to re-examine life, that it can be overwhelming. So the thing is to pick one path. Mm -hmm. Pick one thing. Just pick one thing that you feel like you can get passionate about and put your heart and your and your love behind. Yeah. And... Um, focus your energy and link arms with others and just follow that thread and see where it can lead you. And I, I'm, when you mentioned this is resonating so much with me um, and I, I'm just thinking when you said something about new laws, do you mean, you know, throw like new form of government? Well, I'm thinking, well. <laughs> well, it could be a new form of government, but yeah. what, would, what, what would have to happen for that to be real would be something um, that could very easily be seen as part of the great turning, but it isn't something we necessarily have to go about attempting to make happen. Mm -hmm. Because the truth of the matter is, Rachel, that the system that we've been living with is on um, what is called system runaway. Yes. And it's going to collapse of its own weight. We don't right. really have to bring that about. 
a global capitalism based on profit, which yeah, it's is just a bubble that will burst, right? It's not sustainable. And right. even the people who promote it the most know that it's not sustainable, but they're so busy getting their money out of the system the way it has already existed that they're blindsided to the fact that if we're going to make any substantive changes, it needs to happen now, yeah. not when they're done making money, you mm -hmm. know? So um, there is a, there's a, there's a, a lack of, of baseline morality in corporate yes. uh, thinking when it comes to making money. And it isn't true for all corporations. There are certainly uh, several companies now that have emerged with the triple bottom line where they are willing to take into account um, all levels of concern, not just uh, making money for themselves and their employees and their shareholders, but also, how does this serve the planet, and how does this serve future generations, this yeah. activity that we're involved in? Yeah, and there right. are companies around the world, corporations even, around the world that are willing to look at that triple bottom line. Hmm. Uh, but uh, they're still few and far between, and the ones that are not looking at that are doing a heck of a lot of damage. Yeah. So other ways that we can commonly see this second dimension are things like permaculture or people who are looking at local food systems, um, trying to reinvigorate the local food systems that people at the, you know, the turn of the last century, that was part of their everyday reality up until, say, the 40s and 50s when things really rapidly began to change. But um, when small town America was still there, there was a local food system. So how do we uh, reinvigorate and reinvent the pieces that are missing? So that's part of this second dimension. Anytime that we're looking at civil rights and human rights, gender rights, these are also second dimension. What systems of, um, um, are in place right now that do not uphold the values that we need to be able to uphold? Yes, uh, where everyone is equally valued and everyone's rights are safely, sa are, are the, the, the safety of those rights are closely guarded by the system itself. Instead, we have systemic violence towards all different uh, groups of our culture. And part of this is a mechanism where um, it's, a, it's one of the tools of distraction that are used when um, those that are in place, positions of authority and command and control want to distract us from what they're doing, mm -hmm. they'll often throw up an issue that highlights something that's very um, scary to people, yes. very confusing yes, to people, very dividing for people, yeah. mm -hmm. where people find themselves on either side of the issue, and then that becomes what people are paying attention to. And that's, I see that, I have to, I'm, I believe in being open and honest, but I also know that when I say this, it's going to shock people. But, you know, when I, I, I basically don't listen to any mainstream media anymore because there's so much this fear, fomenting fear and the do and creating the sense of duality, this or that, that's, you only have two choices, you know? And, um, and I, it's so almost so obvious to me at least and to many other people that it's it, these menial distractions are being used to distract people from the real damage that's being done behind the scenes, which is, sounds like was what you're alluding to. Well, it's true. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, um, the times are really changing. And 
uh, people who are younger, and I know that you are younger than me, you have young children, and mine are in their 30s, mm-hmm. um, uh, the people who are your age and younger are a whole lot more savvy about media than we were when we were coming up. Mm-hmm. Although I was coming of age at the time of Watergate, and so mm-hmm. I actually learned not to trust Yes, the government and other, you know, uh, powerful entities um, that control people's lives. I learned to be always looking behind the curtain, Mm -hmm. Um, just alluding to that image from The Wizard of Oz when Toto pulls back the curtain, you know. I've always had my eye on the wizard, you know? Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) That wizard. What's he really doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, How do we get back to Kansas anyway? Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, um, what else can I tell you about? Anything that has to do with recycling our wastes. Yes. uh, And and composting and looking toward zero waste programs. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you have a, a family event... And you choose not to use any paper products that you're going to actually wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is, a, is an action you're taking on behalf of the second dimension of the great turning. Wow, that's amazing to think of it that way. It's, yeah. To think of it that way, it makes mm-hmm. it a whole lot more fun to do these things. Mm-hmm. And then to, to make dishwashing fun by mm-hmm. singing together while you're washing mm-hmm. the dishes together. So no one, no one person is doing it alone, you know? Beautiful. We can make this fun. Yes. We could actually make it fun and make it, yeah, we might take on more work for ourselves. But, Mm -hmm. you know, work has gotten a dirty rap in our culture. You know, our bodies were made for working and our minds were made for creative problem solving Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Together. Let's hang out our clothes on a clothesline. It's almost fun to do that. Make it this meditative activity. Right. Just like washing dishes. One thing I want to ask you real quick, because when I before I forget, is are there any models of, you know, I don't know if it's maybe I don't know if it's a form of government or any sort of um, microcosm of a community. And I've actually have thinking about my uncle's intentional community called Twin Oaks. Um, that's you know a small version of Utopia. But are there any? Any models that in terms of new laws and a new, you know, societal structure that you use or, you know, to kind of look to as a, as an ideal to aspire to, or that Joanna Macy or anybody else involved in this work looks to? There are many examples of intentional communities that are springing up and many experiments that are going on and have been going on since... Mm -hmm. For a very yeah, long time. Right, I mean, right. if you look at, uh, say, <coughs> excuse me, utopian literature, mm-hmm. you'll see examples in history that people have always been trying to create utopia. Yes. And of course, it really is a reflection of the level of consciousness of the people who live there. Mm-hmm. And so we see various, you know, levels of success and failure and something in between. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I personally am living in co-housing. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yes. And um, I did this with a really, um, I, I landed here in a very interesting way. I was doing my own second dimension uh, work here when I 
lost my other job because the company was sold and my job was no longer needed because they had it covered with the parent, new parent company. Mm. So I lost a very lucrative job and mm. I looked around at my two-bedroom apartment and I just thought, mm. okay, the rent is going up. I just lost my job. Mm. I have all these things. Do I really need them? Mm-hmm. And how much am I going to, how much am I willing to work to put a roof over a dining room table that seats 10 people right. when I'm here by myself night after night after oh, night? It's almost like the universe conspired to have this become your way of living. Well, <laughs> That's amazing. So I just put out an email <coughs> and I said to my oh. friends, I said, I'm looking to either welcome a roommate into my space or or become someone else's roommate and uh, just downsize my things. And so what ended up happening was I became um, a member of a house share Mm. in a co-housing community Mm. in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I can't tell you how crunchy that feels in terms of granola (laughs) being stuck in my teeth. But I can also tell you that it works. It allows me to keep a very low economic footprint, Yeah, have my needs met, have more community than I know what to do with, mm-hmm. and more engagement with others than I know what to do with sometimes, oh. and um, the freedom to pursue my activism, pursue um, my, my workshops and um, creating workshops and, and facilitating workshops, and keep mm-hmm. this community of people growing in the Ann Arbor area. Yeah. So, that's one example Good of what you. I personally did. Yeah, that's like, that sounds amazing. And, and so that's a good, that helps me. And it also makes me think of my own living situation, which is in a multi-generational household. Yes, <laughs> um, I've been to your house. Yeah, so it's like. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think when people hear that, I mean, oh, are you, you know, living in the same house with your parents? And the answer is yes, but it's also, it doesn't mean that we all get in each other's space and get each other's nerves all the time. We have separate living spaces we have doors that close we have separate kitchens and so I think you know and even for people listening to this and thinking about intentional communities and co-housing from what it sounds like and what I've read too um, it doesn't need to be you know just people you know the people's some people's some people's um, assumption is that it's you know a bunch of hippies wearing no clothes you know living in, in one big house together but it's actually when I went to Twin Oaks, people have their own houses and they have their own s- s- private space. And so anyway, I think there's so many different ways to go about it, which I'm sure I'm so, I would love to see where you live someday too. It's so fascinating. So, yeah, so yeah. actually I'm very fortunate. We have 20 acres here and our um, housing footprint wow. for 40 households is on 2.8 acres. Oh my gosh, 40 households. That's incredible. I know. I know. It's really amazing. And we all have our privacy. And we have this beautiful common house where whenever we need a little extra space, we can go up there. Um, uh, So yeah, it's really an amazing um, situation in many ways. But it is very experimental because, of course, the consciousness of people is varied in this kind of situation. Everyone is coming from the uh, collective um, civilization that we've created and mm-hmm. um, the people who are older mm-hmm. um, who started this community had a vision and are 
still some of some of them still going strong um but they also have different values than say some of the younger people who are moving right. in right so it's a it's an experiment no no doubt there it's there it's not utopia yeah right and that's i think there's you know probably the theme is that there is so many different models that could be adapted and so what i'm wondering in terms of like governmental structure and i know i'm getting off on the <laughs> i want to hear about the third dimension too but are there any forms of government in terms of a country or a state or a city that you look to or is that just kind of like i know they're all they're all kind of infested <laughs> with the global capitalism model <laughs> Well, I, I like the um, think globally, act locally yeah. um, idea because, you know, Dunbar's rule says you can really only know 150 people well. Mm. And um, if you think mm. of uh, like a village setting, in a way, co-housing is kind of like a, a small village. Mm-hmm. Um, except for there isn't enterprise going on here. We aren't necessarily making things for each other and bartering for things in that way necessarily, although some mm. of that goes on. But mm. um, but for me, when I think about governance, I think of having much more power on a local scale yes. than on a state or a national scale. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, I feel like our governments are too large Yes, but but on the other hand, given the scope and the magnitude of global issues, I think we do need to be able to keep our eye globally on what's happening and what we need to take responsibility for. Mm -hmm. So maybe more loosely affiliated instead of one giant (laughs) conglomerate. Well, I I do believe that an organization like the United Nations could work, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not working very well in its current manifestation. The idea could work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I believe that um, it's quite possible for us to learn a rubric for evaluating whether governments are functioning well or not. Mm. And, um, and to teach ourselves that, you know, how are those who are least able to defend themselves um, from the encroachment of others, how are they able to get by in this, under this government? Yes. It, you know, is there is there anything we've done to built in to protect the very young, the infirm, yeah. the very elderly? Are, what have we done to make sure that everyone has access to what they need to have a healthy life? Yes. So those are pretty basic life support questions. Yes. Gosh, as you're speaking, I just, I can't tell you how important this work is that you're doing it is the most important thing that I can think of and um because you know and I I um thinking about people who you know what you're saying is so much connected to what the people in the spiritual world which I know you're connected to as well but people you know way out there have been talking about the shift in consciousness, age of Aquarius, maybe starting in 2012, which I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying here, but it sounds a lot like it to me. And it's always existed over in this, you know, new agey realm, not in the mainstream. And what you're doing is bringing that into the mainstream, which is so absolutely essential. But the other thing is that um, it's also creating 
you know, when, when even with me, when you're talking to me, it's giving me this sense of hope because I think we often think, well, what is that, you know, this whole shift and climate change and, you know, all these things that we hear that are happening, we start to think that there's a, the, apop- the, the apocalypse is coming and, you know, we're going to be living in this horrible dystopia. And, um, you know, I personally don't believe that's true, although I do believe that people will see the reality in the way that they choose to see it to some that may even look like that now. Anyway, but I guess my my point is my question and my point here is that um, you're providing people with a solution, you know, like this is what the future could look like. And here, instead of just saying, you know, oh, it's not this and it's not that, but here is what it is. Does that sound well, here's what resonate I want, with you. What I'm saying. I, yeah. would, I would like to just uh, tweak it a little bit. Yes, please. One thing I would say is that I don't, I'm not interested in handing people a vision. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I am interested in people co-creating a vision together. Yeah. That's yeah. much more important and much more uh, life-giving. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me that people find their voices Yes. That yes. people begin to reckon with what they're really feeling, mm-hmm. whether it's grief or fear or anger yeah. or emptiness. Mm-hmm. There are many things that we're feeling that uh, aren't noticed, mm-hmm. not even by ourselves. Yeah, or acknowledged to start, right? Yeah, we're carrying around all kinds of stuff that um, we just keep under wraps because it might be unpopular to talk about it or because we don't understand it ourselves or because it's politically incorrect or because we're a downer to everybody else around us. But the truth is most people, the vast majority of people are carrying around a, a feeling inside that life as we know it is threatened Yes. Not just for our generation, but for generations to come. Mm. We're, we're one of the first generations living under that awareness, that psychological awareness. And there's a huge impact for it mm-hmm. to know that we could be creating conditions together that make life as we have known it impossible for those who come after us. Right. And it's not that we've intentionally set out to do this, nor that we would intentionally do it today. Mm -hmm. That's the truth of it. And what we're Mm -hmm. talking about here in the second dimension is really looking at what kinds of life support systems do we have in place, whether we've created them or not, and are they working on the level that we need them to work? Mm -hmm. And if they aren't, what do we need to do to change it? Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, that's very much in alignment with um, these higher states of consciousness that people in the spiritual communities have been talking about. It really, it does involve things like becoming totally present. Yes. Not thinking about the past and the future as much as you're thinking about right now, Mm -hmm. which of course is where you can have an impact Mm -hmm. is right now. And it doesn't mean that we don't recognize with gratitude all there is about the past that we stand on the shoulders of previous generations who mm. created a world for us to inhabit, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we also um, have to keep in mind the future generations. And 
uh, one of the exercises that I do that I learned through Joanna Macy, my beloved teacher, is, mm. is called the double circle, where we actually come into dialogue with um, some of us who are role-playing a, a member of the future generation 200 years hence. Wow. And it ends up being an absolutely beautiful, beautiful dialogue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always profoundly moving every single time I do it um, with imagine. people. Yes, that's incredible. So before we run out of time completely, I really want yes. to make sure we get to the third, third dimension. Uh, yes. Please. Which is called the shift of consciousness, which mm -hmm. actually goes really well with what you were just mentioning about how so many spiritual teachers are talking about the shift mm -hmm. um, and uh, what that looks like and how to recognize it, how to participate in it. And this is really important. There are so many people who are working on this level, and I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful to be one of them. And I heard you earlier say that that's also the dimension that you feel most yes. drawn to at this time. Mm -hmm. um, just to be clear, though, uh, in my experience, when my life works the best when I'm working on all three dimensions. Yes, I know. I've found that, too. <laughs> I, I feel the most engaged. The great mm -hmm. turning, I feel the most powerful with the great, yes. within the great turning when I'm mm -hmm. working on all three dimensions. Yes, that's helpful. So if I'm if I got some kind of a holding action I'm paying attention to or yes. or engaged in or some aspect of the second dimension and yeah. always this shift of consciousness. But yes, yeah. uh, my for me my um, my home in uh, this work is uh, of the great turning is in the third dimension, the shift of yes. consciousness. Yes. So what does that look like? If this is the shift in perception and values that we have to, to go through in order to not be going through holding actions and transforming the foundations of our common life using the same kind of thinking that created those problems in the first place. Mm, right. So as you know, Einstein says, you can't um, solve problems with the same level of consciousness in which they were created, we have to shift this, our thinking has to change. Mm -hmm. And this is so profound, because it is deeply rooted in us. Yeah. And when people are working on holding actions, and the second dimension, they can feel like they're better than other people around them. Mm -hmm. They can take a sort of superior attitude, mm -hmm. until you start to really examine how you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And this is critical because if we don't do that, then the same kind of greed yeah. and the same kind of kinds of selfishness and lack of uh, care, mm -hmm. those things are going to creep into the new things we create together, mm -hmm. including things like being overly competitive and who gets credit for what. Right. It's like it, right. you can you can walk around and do that the rest of your life, but guess what? It's not going to change the world. It's going to create the same thing we thought we were leaving behind. Yeah. And it just feels nasty <laughs> when you're doing that. Right. <coughs> yeah. There's, there's a lack of joy. And yeah. it doesn't mean that we're going to do it perfectly. Many mm -hmm. of our many of the things that we're doing in our work within holding actions and the transformational work of the second dimension our opportunities to check in with our consciousness mm -hmm. yeah. because our consciousness will be reflected in how, what kind of action, what kind of attitude, what we bring to the table when we're working with others in those groups. 
And yes. it's a way to look and check in with ourselves, okay, how far have I come down that line of nonviolence uh, in my speech when what I just said to that person wasn't very thoughtful? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. when I forgot, you know, to be grateful? Or, it's, yeah. you know, it's like... Okay. In every moment. It's every moment, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> every moment matters. Exactly. And of course, our, <coughs> our families are the best place to look for things like that because that's where we fall short most often, right? Those right. that are closest to us often mm-hmm. see us at our worst. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, we forgive them and we hope they forgive us too. Right. Good opportunities to practice. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this shift of consciousness has to do with looking at our perceptions our values, and it's also um, where we can invite a vision to capture us, invite Mm. something that wants to be born into the world that's going to be really good for a lot of people to begin to inhabit our consciousness. Mm. You can call it catching a vision. Mm. And this can be something that can be life-altering and very transformational. I think you, Rachel, have recently how that happened to you? Yes, I did. <laughs> Where you suddenly your life yes. took a direct, you know, a right turn, and mm-hmm. you know, you just found yourself down a totally different path. Yes, yes. Um, and experiencing yourself from that place now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you caught a vision. You caught an, a, a vision of what else was possible. There's mm-hmm. a beautiful book um, written by Charles Eisenstein that I can highly recommend to your listeners. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a couple of books I'd love to recommend. Please, but yeah. uh, Charles Eisenstein's book, he's written a couple, but I really love um, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. Yes. And this book mm. is great because all the things you don't realize you're thinking as you try to take part in the great turning are the things he brings up. Yeah. He really gets underneath our uh, buried self-talk that mm. is informing our beliefs and our attitudes, our ways of showing up, it's informing our actions, even the, even the ones we don't necessarily want to take responsibility for. We have um, these embedded ideas and memes that have inhabited our consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so he does a beautiful job in a very compassionate way of helping us get over what is preventing us from creating the more beautiful world our hearts know as possible. Mm-hmm. So that is a very rich book. Another really wonderful book I want to be sure to mention that I recently read with great joy um, is a book by Rivera's son called The Dandelion Insurrection. Have you heard Dandelion. of it? No, I haven't. Who was the author? Rivera's son. Rivera's son. Okay. I have not heard um, of it. Dandelion Insurrection. It's, um, it's a beautiful book. Um, that is in the not-too-distant future, uh, talking about what it might look like to actually shift things in our culture. Yeah. And it takes place in the United States, and it starts in Maine. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, In northern (laughs) Maine uh, with the Arcadians. Mm. So I think you might enjoy it. I will have to read that. Yeah. I, I definitely need to read that. Yeah, I think a lot of Mainers would actually appreciate it a lot for that reason, but also um, because Maine has so many progressive people that live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in my visits to Maine, it's, it's much like Ann Arbor to be in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, those are two books I want to be sure to, to mention. Yes, I will, uh, I 
we'll plug those later. But and I also funny. want to make sure that um, your listeners know about uh, Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone's most recent book that they co-authored mm-hmm. uh, called Active Hope: How to mm-hmm. Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. Mm-hmm. This is a really important book, and Joanna Macy has authored several books in her life, and each one of them is a jewel. Yes. This particular one is, I believe, the most accessible book to people who are everyday people just wanting to know how to make a difference. That's wonderful. It's profound, and it's practical. Mm-hmm. And I love the practicality of it. Um, it's a book that I love so much that I've been teaching a workshop, a six-part series workshop that I developed um, where the participants read the book together um, mm-hmm. a couple chapters a week. And then when we get together, I bring them through some of the exercises and the conversation that goes with the book um, that I've learned through Joanna Macy mm. called The Work That Reconnects. Yes, I wish that were here in Maine. Oh, there is one. It is, <laughs> it is close by. I know that it's close by. I know that there yeah. are some wonderful facilitators out in Maine area. Good. Vermont, New Hampshire. There is a website called uh, workthatreconnects.org, I believe. Mm. I'm not sure if it might have the in, in the front of that. Um, but you can go there and find facilitators that are near to where you live mm, and invite them in, you know, and uh, facilitators, most facilitators who are doing this work do not mind traveling and are very grateful if you provide the, uh, the participants and the space to do it in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can tell you from a facilitator's perspective that's that's golden because then yes. you can focus on the work and you're not doing all the logistics of planning the whole thing, you know. So, yes. um, so, yes. but this active hope book is really important if you get a chance to read it with others. Mm-hmm. There are many exercises that are offered within the book that you can do together. That's great. Uh, so you don't really actually have to have a facilitator. It's mm-hmm. just that as a facilitator, I can bring in this added dimension of group work um, that are exercises done in um, a very stylistic way that brings people brings people to their true knowing and their deeper knowing and to being able to express the feelings that they're carrying in a safe way yes. and um, begin to write the story differently. Yes, that's in, wonderful. And going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm, I can think of a group I'm involved with that might want that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's wonderful. So the thing about the great turning that I really want to mention, too, is that we don't have to achieve absolute success in mm. order to, to, to take courage and um, know that we are participating in something beautiful. Mm. And that becomes, that becomes the goal. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily to have a vision that you're holding how things must turn out for you to be happy. No, yeah. it's more like living from vision, living mm. from a sense of purpose and meaning for going forward that makes a whole lot more sense than simply working a nine to five job that doesn't really hold a lot of meaning for you. Mm-hmm. That's just a means to an end. 
it's really a demeaning of who you really are. Each person alive today is actually a wonderful work of art. Mm. And for some folks, it's more buried than others. But inside every single person, there is that child of wonder, that person who was born into this world with a gift that only they can bring to the world. Mm, And when we give ourselves permission to live from purpose and meaning, rather than having our life be used to fulfill someone else's agenda, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we actually can discover what our true purpose and meaning is. Yeah. And it's like anything else, it can be trial and error. You don't Mm -hmm. need immediate success to keep trying. You just take courage, celebrate the small successes with others, especially. Um, I love what uh, Bill McDonough once said. He said, I don't want to go to a revolution where it's not fun. (laughs) Yeah, keeping the revolution fun is really important. Um, Yes. But yes. We don't really even have a guarantee of success. We really don't. Yeah. And the truth is, would we really give it our best, our best shot, if we knew which way it was going to turn out? Right. Good point. We can, we can empower ourselves with the not knowing mm-hmm. and say, well, I'm going to put all of my chips on winning this one and overcoming mm-hmm. ourselves and overcoming all the barriers and obstacles that we've put in our own way and remove them yeah. and get back to where we can say love reigns on this planet, maybe for the first time, really, but yes. where everything we do is a reflection of how deeply we believe that that's possible. Can, yeah. love, can love be part of this experience in the grocery store? Can love be part of this classroom as our children get ready to go back to school? Can mm-hmm. love be a part of this, of this courtroom? Can Mm. love help us to create laws for this country that work for the environment, for nature, and for people? Mm -hmm. Can love help us heal Fukushima and Mm. all the horrors that have been unleashed by that still unmitigated problem in Japan? Mm -hmm. Can love help us solve the problem of fracking and our dependence on fossil fuels? Mm -hmm. So if if we took love as our and I know it sounds kind of wishy-washy but it's the hardest thing any of us could do to truly show up with the courage to love completely that is not an easy task it takes the most courageous Mm -hmm. to be able to pull it off and and to help encourage others encourage meaning help others come into their hearts so that we're living from the right place Mm -hmm. yes oh Beautiful, beautiful, inspiring words. Thank you so much, Claire. I um, just can't tell you how valuable this has been for me personally and, and hopefully for others listening as well, that gives, giving us hope and you know motivation to act. Can I give um, you one last piece of oh, motivation? Oh, please. Yes. And this is a really profound insight mm-hmm. for your listeners. We look upon so many different forces that have been unleashed on our planet. We can look at the military-industrial complex. We can look at corporate um, corporations that have no moral authority. Um, We can look at uh, the sixth mass extinction on the planet. We can look at so many different forces that we're we're battling against. But I'm going to tell you that none of those is the most powerful force on the earth. 
The most powerful undermining force on the earth today is our own apathy. Mm. Whenever Mm. we feel like it's too much, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep doing what I'm doing. When we indulge in our apathy, we contribute to the largest, the largest and most powerful force unleashed on this planet for destructive means. Mm. The corollary to that is that the, the true and most powerful thing on the planet that ever was here, that ever will be here, is our capacity for love. Yes. Yeah. And so our love is, is really the answer to our apathy. Mm. When we do the work that reconnects and we um, engage with the feelings that we're all carrying, one thing we can say about our grief is that we don't grieve things that we don't already love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. our anger is a thirst for justice. Yes. Our emptiness is a place for the new to come in when we feel like we just don't even know how to get started. Mm-hmm. We don't even know what to do. Just to admit that and say, I don't know. I care, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And then leave yourself open that space will get filled with the most beautiful thing. Or our fear. When we look at our fear and we realize how afraid we are to talk about our fear, it takes a lot of courage to talk about our fear. Mm -hmm. So um, apathy is the thing, it is the most deadening thing to our hearts. And our hearts Mm -hmm. need to be on fire in order to make it through this transition. Yes, Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Such a gift. So much, such a gift for all of us. So um, thank you so much, Claire. It's been a real blessing to talk with you. You're welcome. And for me, likewise, with you, Rachel, thank you. I'm so glad I got to meet you and your little ones. I know. Stand in your house that one beautiful morning and and tell you just the name, Joanna Macy, so that you could be off and running. And I wrote it down and then found you later. And, you know, yeah. it all happens for a reason. So yes. we'll have a wonderful day. Thank you Thanks so again. much. You too. I hope you enjoyed this interview. For more information about me, you can visit www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton-White. Thanks so much for listening.